just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is Monday. We are headed into yet another week, and no doubt there'll be a lot of interesting, maybe even crazy shit going on this week. And never fear, we're here for it. We'll let you know about it, hopefully give you some insights that maybe our news outlets aren't willing to offer up. But we'll be talking about it. Just trust that. Now, if you listened to the podcast yesterday, you heard... Uh, that I had a listener guest. Her name was Leanna, and she was on the show yesterday. And I thank her very much for taking the time to be on the show. Now, the weird thing about Leanna is, is she's not a boomer. She's not even close to a boomer. She's a little bit younger than my very own kid. She's 27 years old. She lived in the northwest part of the country, and uh, she was a delight. And as luck would have it, I have an email from Leanna. She says, hey, Boomer, I just wanted to thank you again for having me on the podcast. It was a lot of fun. I mentioned my sobriety briefly, but I forgot to explain that my early recovery and detox was very traumatic, and I suffered many seizures, a stroke, and required resuscitation at one point. Since my stroke, I sometimes have difficulty articulating what I'm wanting to say and can get a little jumbled up, so I appreciate your patience with me during our chat. Hopefully, my difficulties weren't too obvious. What? No, I didn't know anything about the seizures and the stroke and such. As far as noticing any difficulties that she had, I don't know about you, but I didn't notice any difficulties. I thought she was quite articulate. She went on to say, for anyone out there that's considering going on the show, I encourage them to give it a shot because you made the experience really easy and comfortable. I look forward to doing it again. Have a great weekend, Leanna. Now, here's the thing. Uh, When she first said she wanted to be on the show, I had no idea how old she was or where she was or anything like that. And uh, um, I always get these preconceived notions about who I'm talking to. And you know know what? Every time I get those preconceived notions, I'm always, always, always wrong. And I'm always pleasantly surprised. I am very impressed with the level of intelligence of the listeners of this show. It's been quite impressive. They're very diverse. They have different insights, different perceptions, and it's always interesting, and they're always very articulate. So I thank everybody who's been on the show at this point, and as Leanna pointed out, it's very simple. I think some people think they're going to come on the podcast, and it's going to be difficult. Trust me, I've done this long enough. The last thing I'm going to do is make it difficult on you. Well, unless, of course, you're a Trump umper, and then it's going to be very difficult for you. But most of us are of a like mind, and uh, I'm going to make it easy. I'm going to make you feel welcome because I'm not worried about messing with you. I want you to get out what you want to say and, 
and, and, and give the people who are listening to the podcast all that you have to offer. So it's always an easy thing. But Leanna, I was particularly pleased with because she was very articulate, very respectful, very intelligent. And then when I started thinking about it, I thought, man, she's younger than my youngest son. Um, my son's also very bright, but uh, not always appreciative of the stuff I do on podcasts and TikToks. Now, I have to say this. In my family, giving each other shit is kind of part of the the relationship. If you don't give people shit, then they don't think you like them. So that's kind of part of it here. But Leanna was tremendous, and I appreciate her spending the time to talk about it. But after you told us about this recovery, the detox, the seizures, the stroke, and the resuscitation, that's a lot to go through for a young woman. Thankfully, you were young when you went through it because uh, I don't notice any problems with the conversation we had. And to be perfectly honest, I said this to you after we did the podcast, and I'll say it again, you know, everybody's always welcome to come on this show, especially if you come on and and you've done a great job. We want you back. But after telling us about the seizures, the stroke, and the resuscitation, I got a lot more questions. And I think a lot of people in the audience have a lot more questions too. So, Leanna, let's set something up to talk again. And I extend it to everybody else who's either not been on the show or has been on the show, you're always welcome. All you have to do is send me an email. We will get it done. All right. uh, This next email comes from a gentleman. He says, just finished listening to the conversation between you and Leanna, and it was great listening to the integrity of this young lady. It It gave me hope for my daughter, who is also a millennial, Anyway, just wanted to thank you both for a great Sunday morning start. By the way, my name is pronounced Achilles or Achilles. He's saying Achilles as in Achilles heel. My father's name is Raphael and my mother's name is Raffaella. And these two decided to name their firstborn Achilles, not little Ralphie. <laughs> anyway, enjoy your Sunday, Boomer. Thank you very much, Achilles or uh, Achilles. I, you know, I suppose it varies on how you pronounce it, but I'm just a big dumb white guy in the Midwest, so you got to forgive me if I don't pronounce it properly. But I thank you for sending the email. I concur what you had to say about our conversation with Leanna, and I thank you for touching base. See, I was whining about about emails, and now I'm getting all kinds of emails. I'm liking this. I've told you before, it's important what you think and what you have to say, and I want to hear it. And more importantly, the people who listen to the podcast, they want to hear it too. I don't care who you are or how small a detail you want to discuss. It's important that we hear it. All right, the next one is uh, from Deb. I just remembered another thing I have been worried about, the SCOTUS hearing, Moore versus Harper. I hope I got the names right. It would, could essentially turn over all voting issues to the states. This would be the culmination of the coup. 
What can any of us do to stop this? The court is expected to turn it over to the states. If that happens, our democracy is over. Well, yeah, I've heard this story too, and I'm not as familiar with this particular uh, case. And I understand that uh, should they turn it over to the states, we do have some problems. But as I've told you before, I, I never go into anything with a negative attitude. I question whether the um, Supreme Court will make this leap. They already have some serious problems. And if they have any sense about what's going on in the midterms, they might want to back off a little fucking bit. Because if the Democrats get a bigger margin in the House and a bigger margin in the Senate, Oh, they're going to get some new colleagues because they're going to expand the court. This happened with FDR way back when, when he was doing all his socialist stuff with Social Security and all that kind of stuff. And um, FDR used that threat. They were shutting down everything that FDR said. And FDR said, look, man, you keep fucking around. I'm going to expand the court. And then all of a sudden, they decided to fucking behave. I understand your concern about this. The media would have you believe that the end of the world is is nigh, but that's what they do. I'm not certain that the Supreme Court would take that leap, given their current circumstances. But even if they do, there's a way out of everything. Now, keep in mind, they overturned Roe v. Wade, correct? That doesn't mean Roe v. Wade can't be codified at some point or can't be overturned. They're overturning. And it probably will. And it all, again, hinges on the Democrats getting a bigger margin in the House and a bigger margin in the Senate. I honestly believe that's what's going to happen. And for all the bad things that occur during the current situation, I think it will ultimately be put back to normal. I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, there's a part of me that says, I hope they do that. I hope they do that, and uh, you know none of that's going to be able to take effect until after the midterms, I would guess. It, it just doesn't happen automatically. Uh, anything the Republicans can do to scare the shit out of the Democrats, the better it is for the Democrats. The Democrats will come out in mass, and they will vote all these Republicans out. As it is, I think it's going to be a blue wave. I really do. A lot of people don't believe that to be the case in the House, but maybe in the Senate. I believe the House as well. There's just too many bad things that the Republicans are supporting, and people are nervous about it. We're seeing polls out now that are showing Democrats winning in the House and the Senate. Three or four different polls. That tends to be a trend It's one thing to have one poll throw out some crazy figures, but this is four polls. And these four polls suggest a trend. And I think that trend is going to continue because, remember, we've got some more January 6th hearings coming up. And each one of them does something to make up ground against the Republicans. We're seeing it in the first eight. We will see it even more so in the upcoming hearings in September. It's timing out just perfect, as I suggested they might do. This is going to go through September. It could go into October. 
which walks us up to the early part of November when we have the midterm elections. I think the showstopper in this whole thing is going to be the um, summarization or summation of all these hearings by the Democratic Party, which will be the last thing we hear. It'll be the last thing that pulls all the evidence together and tells the story. And that, in my mind, will probably be the kill shot for the Democrats. Each one of these hearings is going to get steadily worse, but that last presentation will be the kill shot. We'll see when that ends up. But if we're already into September, maybe going into October, it's timing out perfect. Just exactly like I said they were going to fucking do. I told you they were going to do that, and that's exactly what's happening. It's not because I'm a genius or some kind of Nostradamus. It's because it just makes sense. If you've got a strategy to beat these motherfuckers and people forget about shit, this is the way you have to do it. All right. Next one up is from Dave. What up, RB? Hello again on a recent trip to the cities. I forced your podcast on my wife and my 19-year-old daughter. Wow. (laughs) You forced it on them. I can't even get my wife or my kids to listen to it, but you forced it on them. Maybe that's what I need to do. He goes on to say they absolutely loved it. Now, that's even more surprising because I tend to have a filthy mouth, and uh, some of the ladies don't like that. Nonetheless, that's the way I talk, so I'm not changing it. In fact, they will sometimes ask what your take is on current events that they hear about. Wow, that's that's uh, high praise. I, I, I give you that, Dave. Thank you. One thing my wife asked me to email you about is your thoughts, opinions on why everyone around the orange shit stain is being talked about and potentially implicated, but there hasn't been one peep about Melania at all. Just curious on your thoughts. Absolutely love your podcast. Keep them coming, Dave. Thank you, Dave. Thanks to Dave's wife. Thanks to Dave's 19-year-old daughter. It amazes me every time when we get um, a 28-year-old in Canada or 27-year-old Leanna or now a 19-year-old daughter. Um, Never expected to hear young people listening to the show, but you're welcome and I appreciate it. Now, with regards to Melania, I don't know that Melania, she did some unethical things and she did some abhorrent things. I don't think she's a good person. But I think given Donald Trump and all that's going on and how the Republicans are, they certainly aren't going to get Melania involved in this stuff. For God's sake, she's a woman. What could she possibly do? That's not to say she hasn't done some things illegal, and maybe we will find out that she has. But the focus here is really on Donald Trump. We found that out with the January 6th committee. They're focusing on Donald Trump. There's a lot of people around him and in Congress that will get indicted to. But right now they're focusing on Donald Trump. They want to take that one clown down to weaken everything. I don't know that they will delve into Melania as far as a criminal, even if she is a criminal. I think she is a despicable human being. She married a guy strictly for his money. It wasn't his looks and it wasn't his personality. 
And she's benefiting. She brought her parents over on some special visa that Donald Trump was able to get her. So I don't think of her as much of anything. She's kind of vapid. She's kind of just kind of weird, something weird about her. I mean, you know, they kept telling us that she was a supermodel, yet there are no photos of her doing any supermodeling. She is a uh, attractive woman who's had a lot of work and married a rich guy. That's her only accomplishment at this point. I don't know. <clears throat> they could. You know, there's a lot of women out there that say, oh, poor Melania. Fuck poor Melania. Poor Melania could have been in and out of this thing in the first year and a half and made a shitload of money. There's some reason why she's staying. I can't imagine why. She has to be embarrassed daily by her husband. I, I got I to tell you, if it were me and my wife and I did the shit Donald Trump would do, one of two things would happen. I would be divorced, certainly. But even before being divorced, I might wake up one morning with my wife sitting on a pillow on my face just to try to take me out. <laughs> and she would be justified in doing that if that were the case. I don't know why Melania hasn't gotten any focus. It's maybe because there's too much other egregious shit going on. I don't know if they let her do anything that would cause her to have done anything illegal. Again, she's a woman, so they don't have a lot of respect for women. We'll see what happens, but I think she's the least of our worries. Now, speaking about Trump wives, I've been hearing this story about how Donald Trump buried his dead wife on his Bedminster golf course, where he's got a tournament going on right now. And when I first heard this, I thought, oh, this is one of those fucking conspiracy things. It's it's bullshit. But then as the day went on yesterday, I started reading more about it, hearing more about it, seeing the photos of this shitty little grave that Donald Trump put up. I mean, it looks like a pauper's grave with uh, just a uh, just a stone on it. You would think Donald Trump could kick in a little more money than that. Now, the story goes he put her on uh, the Bedminster golf course so that he could call it a cemetery and then and then uh, get a tax write-off, okay? Now, that's not surprising. Donald Trump is certainly capable of that kind of bullshit. Uh, but it turns out it's true. It turns out that his intention all along, even before Ivana died, to uh, have a cemetery, cemetery for the Trumps, uh, the Trump family there. And then, of course... Uh, as any greedy fuck would do, he started looking at it. And, you know, maybe we'll even open it up to the public, those who want to be closer to the orange orangutan, because you know there are some there. Because um, presumably Donald Trump would be buried there too. I think he'll get buried in a different way well before he dies. But nonetheless, uh, he talked about putting up uh, a thousand plots to sell and of course he would sell this shit that's who that fuck is it's unbelievable um personally i don't really care where any trump is buried the only thing i would hope for is that it was as soon as fucking possible
All right. We're going to talk about Uvalde a little bit and Texas Governor Greg Abbott. He attended a campaign fundraiser hours after a shooting that killed 19 students and two teachers in Uvalde. And that was reported uh, a fundraiser where he spent hours there. The Republican governor, who initially said he stopped on the way to Austin to let people know he could stay, visited the fundraiser in Huntsville, 150 miles east of Austin. Records obtained by the outlet show the governor via lone jet arrived in Huntsville about 4.52 p.m. and didn't leave until about three hours later. Abbott could have raised up to $50,000 at the event held at a private home by host Jeff Bradley, according to the newspaper. The governor's campaign spokeswoman, Renee Eze, or Eze in a statement wrote that uh, Abbott's description of his movements that day are accurate. Unlike Beto O'Rourke, who took advantage of the tragedy in Uvalde by increasing his fundraising efforts and resorting uh, resorting to uh, political stunts, Governor Abbott canceled all political activity, including fundraising, as they wrote. Well, it doesn't sound like he did. And, and frankly, somebody had to be the leader there and speak out. And in as far as uh, fundraising for um, Beto O'Rourke, uh, I think it's a good time to fundraise. You have this animal who is the uh, governor of the state doing horrific things to women, LGBTQ, um, aliens, and, and all the shit he's doing. There should be some fundraising to get that motherfucker out. O'Rourke, Abbott's Democratic opponent in the gubernatorial election, called out the governor at a press conference the day after the shooting. Beto said, this is on you. Until you choose to do something different, this will continue to happen, O'Rourke said in May. Somebody needs to stand up for the children of this state or they will continue to be killed, just like they were killed in Uvalde. Abbott, in an interview with uh, KENS-TV Friday, reiterated that he was at a fundraiser to let people know what was going on in Uvalde and took questions about that at the event. The report comes as criticism continues over law enforcement's response to Uvalde's shooting. The outrage led uh, Uvalde school police chief uh, Pete Arandondo to resign from his city council post earlier this month. Community members have continued to call for his ouster as school police chief and for other local officials to be held accountable. What you have to understand about um, Gregory Abbott, the governor, in as well as he's dealing with overturning Roe v. Wade and all the other issues, he also made it so that in Texas, anybody could carry a gun with any, without any kind of training, registration, or even background checks. Basically said any clown in Texas that wants to carry a gun should do so. Because in their minds, the more people with guns, the safer it's going to be. But of course, some 18-year-old kid was able to get a hold of a military-style rifle and kill 19 kids and uh, two adults. Throw in the fact that the police department there completely blew it. They are partially responsible for all those kids and those two adults that were killed. But this does all fall on on uh, 
Gregory Abbott. It just does. He has done everything in his power to make it easier for people to get guns, whether they be young, whether they be crazy, whether they be people with anger issues. When you have people like that running around your state with guns, you can almost guarantee that something bad is going to happen. And something like Uvalde, you can't imagine anything worse than that. But you know what? Even after Uvalde, with the horrible response by the police department, the fact that an 18-year-old kid had a military-style assault weapon and killed all these kids, what has Gregory Abbott done since that time? You would think there would be a response other than talking about it and going to a fundraiser. But there was none. Nothing has changed. So another 18-year-old kid could walk into another school tomorrow and do this all over again. I mean, anytime you have a problem in a state, it is the governor's job to fix that problem and or protect the people against it. But he's done absolutely nothing. If he's done anything at all, he's made it worse, made it easier for people to commit these crimes. And Beto O'Rourke is absolutely right. He needs to be accountable for it. And Beto O'Rourke is fighting to win that election in Texas. And i got to be honest with you, Texas. Beto O'Rourke is the only person that can save your state because your state is going to shit. I love Texas. I love Austin, I love uh, San Antonio, I love Dallas. I love going to those places. But for the life of me, I will not go there now. Not just because I'm pouting about how bad Texas is, mainly because I'm not going to bring myself and my wife to a place where any fucking idiot can have a gun. Those kinds of mass killings could occur anywhere, not just schools. They could be shopping centers, malls, sporting events. And as long as Gregory Abbott refuses to do anything, it's going to be an unsafe place to go. The fact that Beto O'Rourke may have uh, fundraised on it, I don't have a problem with that. He's trying to get this evil fuck out of the governor's mansion. And Beto O'Rourke will be a much better fit and a much better situation for the... uh, state of Texas. So whatever it takes, he needs to fight like hell to make sure that Greg Abbott is fucking gone after the 2022 election in November. So I have no problem with uh, Beto O'Rourke fundraising. He was out there. He was pleading, making pleas to the police department, to the general public. He was trying to do something, but he's not the governor yet. So what he can do is very limited. We need to make him the governor so he can actually get something done. When you have problems, it's a response that is needed, some kind of action, some kind of strategy to mitigate that problem or get rid of that problem. We know now that Gregory Abbott is unwilling to do anything. So if you in Texas see this as a problem, your only choice is to vote for Beto O'Rourke because he's the only one talking about doing things to fix the fucking problem. All right, we are going to take a break. All right, let's talk about the child sex trafficker general in charge. 
that slimy fuck, Representative Matt Gates, Republican from Florida. He was captured in a conversation on a live microphone suggesting to Roger Stone ahead of his 2019 criminal trial that the big guy would likely pardon Stone after a guilty verdict, the Washington Post reported on Saturday. This is interesting. These people will tell us that they were completely innocent, that what we saw and what we heard was not the truth. We have to listen to what they say. But apparently they were concerned about a fucking guilty charge, mainly because Stone is fucking guilty. And apparently Matt Gates thought uh, he was certain that he would get a pardon, and Matt Gates was right. Now, Matt Gates, in his own mind, probably thought, well, I'll get a pardon too, but it doesn't appear as though that he did. So <laughs> Matt's going to be a little disappointed when he goes to court this time around. This is not going to go well for him. Stone, a longtime Republican political operative and devoted Donald Trump ally, was convicted later that year of seven felonies, including obstruction of justice, witness tampering, and lying to Congress during the investigation into the Kremlin interface in the 2016 presidential election. He was sentenced to 40 months in prison. Now, that had nothing to do with January 6th. Now we're finding out that Roger Stone does, in fact, have some connection to the January 6th insurrection. So he will be charged with something totally different. Because as I said, even though he was given 40 months, of course, Donald Trump pardoned him. Clearly a criminal. But Donald Trump has a love for criminals, apparently. Well, Matt Gates seemed sure that he would get a pardon. And in fact, he did get a pardon. Apparently, this is something they had been talking about. So Matt felt pretty confident. Again, now that Matt Gates is going to be standing trial himself, ultimately, for child sex trafficking and any number of other things, uh, he's not going to have that pardon in his pocket. And in fact, it may not just be the child sex trafficking. We know that he was involved to a certain extent with the January 6th committee. I'm going to bet that he probably did some illegal shit then. Apparently, he thinks he's above it all. Apparently, he thinks he's immune. Well, he's going to find out differently here pretty quickly. Now, Trump publicly praised Stone for not flipping. Yeah, Roger, great guy. You're not a rat. And I have to correct myself. I said he pardoned um, Roger Stone. He did not pardon Roger Stone. He, in fact, commuted his sentence before it even began in the summer of 2020, then pardoned him shortly before he left the White House. So he got the sentence commuted, and as Donald Trump was heading for the door, he gave him a pardon. Ultimately, he got a pardon, but initially it was just a commutation. The riveting 25-minute recording of Gates and Stone's conversation at Trump's National Doral Golf Resort in Florida in 2019 was captured by a microphone that Stone was wearing on his lapel for a Danish film crew making an upcoming documentary, A Storm Foretold, and provided to the Post newspaper as they reported it. Now, Gates, a member of the House Judiciary Committee, predicted in the recording that Stone would probably be found guilty at his upcoming trial, but that he would likely wouldn't do a day of prison. 
Wow, that's quite a prediction. And quite accurate, isn't it? It's funny how it could be that fucking accurate. So Gates said, the boss still has a very favorable view of you. Gates assured Stone on tape, emphasizing that Trump had said so directly and adding, I don't think the big guy can let you go down for this. Why not? He fucking did it. Well, Roger Stone will get his. Gates indicated that he was already trying to wrangle a pardon for Stone, according to the recording, but he was fearful of saying more because of many, many recording devices around right now as various public figures were being interviewed on the scene. So he didn't want to talk too much about it because there were recording devices around. (laughs) Did you not see the fucking mic on Stone's lapel, for Christ's sake? These people are so fucking stupid, it just amazes me. How do they get up in the morning? How do they take care of themselves? Gates also warned Stone that he was named a lot in the redacted sections of the investigative report by special counsel Robert Mueller, who conducted the probe into the Russian interference in the U.S. presidential election. The Post reported that the public was never provided access to those redacted sections, as Gates was. They're going to do you because you're not going to have a defense, Gates warned Stone in the recording. At the time of the conversation, the Judiciary Committee was investigating whether Trump might have obstructed justice by holding out possible pardons to Stone and others who were part of the Mueller probe. There was, of course, uh, Michael Flynn, too. But here's the interesting thing. The Judiciary Committee is investigating Roger Stone, yet Matt Gates is on the Judiciary Committee. This guy is being investigated for child sex trafficking, and he's still on the Judiciary Committee, thanks to Kevin McCarthy. This is appalling. This should not be happening. This makes our government look just weak and corrupt as hell mainly because it is, or was, or is, who knows. We'll find out soon enough. Now, taking time out from his poorly attended Saudi-backed golf tournament at his Bedminster course, Donald Trump went on a multi-post tirade at Wisconsin Legislature Speaker Robin Voss, a Republican who is facing a primary vote this week and threatened to endorse his Democratic opponent if he makes it to the November midterm election. While also taking a slap at Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, the former president raged at Voss, who has refused to back Trump's claim that he won Wisconsin in 2020 and was cheated by a rigged election. This guy is a Republican, but apparently he has a shred of integrity because he's not buying into Donald Trump's fucking lies. Now, re-upping a true social post where he claimed Robin Voss has done a terrible thing to Wisconsin. Election integrity seems to mean nothing to him, despite a sweeping Wisconsin Supreme Court victory. It was a rigged election. A lot of people will be voting against Voss. And that's coming up, I believe, tomorrow. And for a very good reason. He is a do-nothing rhino, Trump added. 
and Robin Voss is only getting worse, wants toll booths put on many highways and a big gas tax tax ASAP. He is a rhino disaster very much as the worst politician in the nation. Give away Mitch McConnell, who gives the Dems everything and gets nothing for it, never fights for Republicans. The former president then told his followers to stay tuned for a further announcement. Robin Voss is so bad for the great state of Wisconsin that I'm seriously thinking of supporting and endorsing his opponent. Anyone would be better. Stay tuned, he promised. That's Donald Trump for you. If you won't lie for him, he not only won't back you up, but he will fight against you. Unfortunately for Donald Trump, that's not as effective as it once was. Donald Trump isn't as successful uh, in his primaries as he would like to be. Now, he'll claim that every endorsee uh, has won the primaries. This is not true. And as I've said before, I'm glad that Donald Trump's endorsees are winning the nomination for the Republican Party because these fuckers are kooks. They're crazy. They say stupid shit. Just listen to Herschel Walker. Just listen to Dr. Oz. These fuckers have no chance of getting elected because of the shit they say and do. No normal person would vote for them. And yes, Donald Trump does have a base, but we're talking like 30%. In spite of the fact that he got 71 million votes or 74 million votes in the 2020 election, a lot has happened since then. And there are a lot of Republicans who have a normal mind, and they are just not going to be able to sit very well with some of the shit that Donald Trump has done. The 30% will be there no matter what you tell them, but the other percentages are either going to not vote or vote for Democrat or vote independent, but they're not going to vote Republican. And that's why I believe there's going to be a blue wave come uh, come November. Democratic strategist Paul Bagala unleashed on Republicans for flip-flopping on their support for the veterans' health legislation that would help those who developed cancers and other health issues after exposure to toxic chemicals and toxic burn pits during the combat operation. We know that happened. You know, of course, as I mentioned in a previous podcast, Joe Manchin and Chuck Schumer pulled a quick one on the Republicans, a quick one not unlike what the Republicans do on the regular to the Democrats. But this pissed off the Republicans. They were not happy about it. So they thought they'd make somebody pay. Unfortunately, in this situation, they made veterans, sick and dying veterans, pay. And that's the kind of piece of shit they are. They had to strike back at the Democrats. And the only way they can do it is shut down this bill to help people who were suffering, our servicemen and women who were suffering after being exposed to burn pits that were created by the very government that is supposed to be paying and protecting them. This shows one thing. This shows that uh, Mitch McConnell and the Republicans don't care about collateral damage as long as they get what they want. And that's what they did. 
Now, ultimately, this bill will pass. They want to dick around with it and delay it and do all this kind of stuff. But it will pass ultimately. But you have to understand, there are people that are sick and dying now by delaying this. Even if it's a short time, more people are going to die just because the Republicans wanted to own the Democrats. It's pretty fucked up, if you ask me. And I think a lot of people who are voters are going to see the same thing. I mean, you think about the Republicans. They've alienated women because they took a constitutional right of abortion away from them. They're trying to suppress the votes of people of color. They're marginalizing LGBTQ people. And now they're shitting on our veterans. You can say what you want about the midterms, but one of those things could sink it for the Republicans in November. But all these things together, it can't help but go badly for the Republicans. Conservative Alice Stewart tried to explain that Democrats have added things that somehow make it unacceptable for Republicans to support. In reality, what was added by Democrats in the House has nothing more than a technical fix that required the Senate to vote on it again. It shouldn't have been controversial, given 84 senators supported it the weeks before. I think that uh, Ed explained this best. The way this went down is the House passed the bill. They sent it to the Senate. It passed with 84 votes, well beyond what they needed to um, undermine the filibuster. They needed 60 votes, and they got 84, so they got a ton of Republicans voting for it as well they should. This is a good cause. This is important. These are people that need help, and that's why the fuck they're there, to help the people of this country, particularly those people that happen to be veterans. Now, what happened was, when it got to the Senate, it was voted on, but the parliamentarians said, you know, I don't like how this is worded. It might be unconstitutional. It was just like a short phrase or a sentence. So they sent it back to the House to fix that. Was no problem. Was no big deal. Didn't change the bill at all. Didn't add anything to the bill. And then they sent it back to the Senate. And, of course, the Senate just got burned by Manchin and Schumer. So they wanted retribution. That's what happened. There is nothing different in that bill uh, than when they voted 84 votes for it in a 100-person body. Nothing changed. But this is the things they do. They decide to do something like this, and then they go out and they say, well, they changed everything. And I'm listening to commenters on my post saying, what about the $400 billion in pork? Fuck you. You didn't read shit. You didn't know shit. You just listened to what Sean Hannity or Tucker Carlson said to you. And as far as you know, that's true. Yet we know they are fucking liars. They are admitted liars. But still, you got people parodying this bullshit. And it gets annoying after a while. There are no additional parts of the legislation that would have done something outside the original intent and purpose of the bill. It was a technical fix and nothing more. The so-called budget issue they have with the bill was in the bill that they supported just months prior. Um, Paul Bagaglia goes on and says, There's a special place for Republicans who oppose helping uh, 
save the lives of the men and women who served our country. He began, it's Sunday. I don't want to say where it is, but it is not the United States Senate. They don't belong there. They are gutless, spineless, soulless hacks. I cannot believe the people excuse this. It is the exact same bill. They passed it before. The only thing that changed is the politics. I think they're angry that Senator Joe Manchin is passing the President Climate and Health Care Bill. Fight about that later. But do, but to do that to the veterans is despicable, and it is. I'm being careful to watch my language, but you can imagine what I'm thinking. And that comes from Paul Bagalia, who's a noted political person. Um, the thing about it is, is, is for whatever reason, the Republicans are butthurt that uh, Joe Manchin, who is a Democrat, sided with the Democrats. Oh, my God, who could ever imagine that would fucking happen? What has changed, however, is the Republicans didn't think that President Joe Biden's Build Back Better bill was going to pass after Manchin indicated he was against it. Manchin worked with Democrats to rework the bill and put it into the budget reconciliation package that cannot be filibustered. Anything that goes on with the budget, they can't filibuster it. So they're fucked. All they need is 50 votes and Kamala Harris to break the tie. Now, we don't know of Christian cinema, what she's going to do, but I have to believe they work that out in advance. Otherwise, they'd be talking to Christian cinema. I'm sure Joe Manchin is going to her and say, just pass the fucking thing, you idiot. Republicans have tried to stop all legislation from moving forward under Biden's presidency to eliminate any possibility of Democrats being able to show progress. The problem they faced, however, is that a lot of the bills moving through are bipartisan, if not straight-up GOP-supported. Republican Representative Mike McCall of Texas was furious when he saw his GOP colleagues vote against the semiconductor bill that he has been trying to pass for years. He explained to Raw Story that the bill was suggested by top cabinet secretaries in Donald Trump's administration because manufacturing was brought to a stop in the 2020 COVID crisis. Not being able to have certain chips and electronics and relying on Taiwan for them put the U.S. in a difficult position, climbing out of the supply chain issues post-pandemic. See, that's the thing. The semiconductor thing is where it started. Everybody should have been for the semiconductor thing, especially the Republicans. But Mitch McConnell wasn't happy with that. He says, okay, we'll sign it, but we want no more spending bills, no more tax increases. And Manchin said, cool, we won't do that. Actually, actually Schumer said that. We're not going to do that. And the moment that fucking thing passed, within hours, they came out with this deal between Manchin and Schumer. And that pissed them off because they got played. You see what's happening here? They don't want Democrats to pass any bill. Not because it's not a good bill. Not because it doesn't help the people of this country, which it does. They just don't want the Democrats to look good in order to win in the midterms. 
but they've got all kinds of problems. They've got all this negative shit coming out about them. And then you throw in the fact that uh, Joe Biden and the Democrats have pulled off some things like the COVID relief bill and now like this bill. That counts in votes in the mind of the Republicans, and that is untenable for them. They don't want to see the Democrats win again. But I I just don't see how they can lose in the midterms. I really honestly don't. Senator John Cornyn was miffed saying that he felt tricked by Republicans supporting the semiconductor bill and then being told the Manchin bill would be under budget reconciliation that they couldn't stop from passing. See, that's what pisses them off. The Republicans can't stop it. The filibuster can't stop it. It was hours later that Manchin announced the budget package. So Republicans can't stop the budget bill. And the only other legislation that will likely come up for a vote is the veterans bill. Protesting the veterans legislation is the only power they have left to exercise, even if it's a public relations disaster. See, that's how fucking crazy they are. They don't care about the veterans. They don't care if it's a good bill. They don't care if they passed it already in a bipartisan manner. They're just mad, and they don't want the Democrats to look good. The unfortunate thing is they don't do anything for we the people. That's the troubling thing about this. Then, of course, conservative Alice Stewart later dismissed the veterans bill, saying that Americans won't care about issues like burn pits during the elections because they care about pocketbook issues and inflations. Even if that's true, and I don't believe it's true, even if it's true, what's that tell you about her? She's a political hack. She doesn't care about what's right. She doesn't care about taking care of people. All she cares about is winning that election. That's why that election has to be a huge blue tsunami to teach these motherfuckers a lesson. When that tsunami hits, they are going to be pushed back 20 years, and it's going to take 10 to 15 years to recover from that midterm. Families fighting cancers from these burn pits are being pressed with impossible expenses and are losing family members. One soldier's wife, who appeared on CNN earlier Sunday afternoon, explained that after being diagnosed and knowing there was no money or help, the soldier simply committed suicide. But Alice Stewart says we won't care about that. That won't come into play when it comes to voting, and that's just fine for her. Bagala explained that it's the Republicans who are playing politics with the veterans' bill. All right, this last story I find very satisfying, very pleasurable. Apparently, Donald Trump's lawyers apparently believe the ex-president will be criminally charged for his attempt to overthrow the 2020 election and subsequent efforts to stop the Electoral College vote count. Now, Rolling Stone reported Sunday's Sunday evening that three different sources wrote to the magazine to report that the Trump lawyers are at work on a strategy and defense options if the Justice Department charges the former president. Now, the big problem with that, assuming he is going to get charged, and if Donald Trump's people think he's going to get charged, I think that's a serious possibility. Unfortunately, Donald Trump has burned so many bridges with lawyers, he's got lame-ass, piece-of-shit 
lawyers, and they're going to have to go up against the uh, DOJ. And that will be no competition at all. Not only is he flat out guilty, he's got shitty lawyers. So when he goes up against the DOJ, he's got all kinds of problems. The work began months ago, but according to the report after former Mark Meadows aide Cassidy Hutchinson testified, the legal team's effort intensified after Hutchinson's testimony. Trump went off on her saying that she wasn't mentally sound and calling her crazy. He implied that the only reason that she was coming forward with accusations was to promote her own career. She has actually been under threat and intimidation since it was revealed. She gave information to the committee and is now in hiding. Even now, she's in hiding. Even now, she's being protected by security. That's how crazy these motherfuckers are. And Donald Trump is nervous and his lawyers are nervous. The uh, lawyers are discussing ways they can find someone else to blame instead of Trump. Well, of course they are. But it doesn't fucking matter. It all goes back to Trump. Trump got some terrible advice from attorneys who some people would argue should have or must have known better. One of the sources told Rolling Stone and advice of counsel defense would be a big one. One of the things explained by Andrew Weissman, a former prosecutor with the Robert Mueller's team, is that the evidence is showing former Representative Mark Meadows could end up being the fall guy. Witnesses have testified that he was in every meeting with Trump dealing with January 6th, the so-called Stop the Steal rally and other schemes. The timeline is, I think, the key because there is a ticking clock, Weissman said. And I think that what you're ultimately going to have to see is the department trying to get witnesses and putting pressure on or charging people like Mark Meadows. Former prosecutor Glenn Kirshner explained that Meadows is the only is only going to be the fall guy if the DOJ allows it. And frankly, I don't think that's going to happen. And I think Mark Meadows, as he gets more and more pressure, as much as he's been unwilling to talk, is going to start talking. You remember what happened to Sammy Gravano and uh, and uh, his boss. His boss was trying to pawn it off on him and Sammy Gravano ratted something that the mafia doesn't do. And frankly, what we're dealing with with Donald Trump is another um, another mafia family, but more of an apple dumpling gang because they don't know what they are fucking doing. Should he be charged for his crimes? Absolutely. But does that mean the Department of Justice should stop at Mark Meadows? Well, of course not. Absolutely not, said Kirshner. Donald Trump is the hub of the hub and spoke conspiracy that I've been talking about, including on your show for a very long time. This is what Kirshner is saying. Donald Trump is the hub from which all of these criminal spokes radiated. You know, we heard about this battle royale in the Oval Office with Team Normal, the folks that passed for adults in the Trump administration, and the crazies, the QAnon people, the Powells, the Giuliani's, and you, you, you got the sense from listening to the evidence that everyone in the room knew there was absolutely no evidence supporting these absurd claims of election fraud. 
The evidence is already there that shows it goes back to Donald Trump. He can try to pawn it off on somebody else, but that's all he's got. It's kind of like the Bannon defense. When it came down to it, they said, well, we have no defense. Exactly. And they didn't put up a defense. So Donald Trump is going to try everything, but he is in a corner. He is stuck, and he is going to flail and lose his shit if he isn't already losing his shit. But Donald Trump is done in this circumstance. All the evidence is pointing to him, and we've got more hearings coming out and more people speaking up. Do not be surprised if Mark Meadows realizes he's going to be the fall guy. He has a change of conscience, and he steps up and he starts talking. And when Mark Meadows starts talking, Donald Trump is fucking done. Trust me on this one. All right. We are going to wrap things up for the Rational Boomer podcast. I hope you have a great day tomorrow. I appreciate the fact that you spent time to listen to this show. And we've got another one coming up tomorrow. So we will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.